0: You're listening to CJSW, 90.9 FM in Calgary.
1: Trump came along the defunding Center for Disease Control and others, and canceling all the programs that were working to try to detect problems, working in China with Chinese scientists to try to find out where possible problems might come. All of that gets the axe. Why? You don't enrich your constituency that way. Trump's constituency is
0: great wealth,
1: corporate power.
0: That's Noam Chomsky, and this is Alternative Radio. I'm David Barsamyan. This edition of AR features Noam Chomsky on the politics of the pandemic. It should be abundantly clear that part of the president's MO, almost an article of faith, is never accept responsibility when things go wrong. It's always someone else's fault. Pelosi, the media, the WHO, Obama, China, immigrants. And if you criticize the leader, expect retaliation. Just ask Rick Bright, a top government scientist who was removed from his job, he says, because he opposed the president's touting of an anti-malarial drug as a coronavirus treatment. He has filed a whistleblower complaint. The president has called him a disgruntled employee. These are Rick Bright's words of warning. Our window of opportunity is closing. If we fail to develop a national coordinated response based in science, I fear the pandemic will get far worse and be prolonged, causing unprecedented illness and fatalities. Without clear planning, 2020 will be the darkest winter in modern history. Our guest today is Noam Chomsky, the legendary scholar activist. He practically invented the field of modern linguistics. At 91, He continues to write and give interviews to the media all over the world. Over the years, I've done a series of books with him. Our latest is Global Discontents. I talked with him on May 5th. He was at home in Arizona, and I was in the studios of KGNU in Boulder. Welcome to the program.
1: Glad to be with you again.
0: Some years ago, you wrote... Among the hardest tasks that anyone can undertake, and one of the most important, is to look honestly in the mirror. If we allow ourselves to do so, we should have little difficulty in finding the characteristics of failed states right at home. What does the current coronavirus pandemic reveal about characteristics of the United States as a failed state?
1: Well, first of all, I perhaps should say that uh, 15 years ago, as you may remember, I wrote a book called Failed States. It was mostly about the United States, a country that uh, is a danger to itself, to its own citizens, to the world, uh, violates international law, uh, fails to develop... uh, internal systems of, that sustain its own people and much else. Oh, uh, it's much more extreme now. By now, I think it's a widely held opinion about the United States abroad and at home. I just happened to have read a Canadian newspaper this morning, National Observer. One of the main articles in it is, have the Americans gone insane? Uh, and describes the craziness in this country. Uh, there's a recent article by uh, George Packer, kind of a mainstream liberal intellectual called America's a Failed State. Uh, take a look at the coronavirus. Countries have responded to it in different ways. The uh, Sorry. Is, is that
0: how they responded, by barking? <laughs>
1: one way one of the pleasures of isolation get a little company right now there's an epidemic of China bashing it's mostly an effort to try to cover up Trump's crimes against the American people let's find some scapegoat and the facts of the matter are that by January 10th a few days after the first discovery that something was going on uh, Chinese scientists had uh, identified the virus uh, sequenced the genome, given the information to the World Health Organization and to the entire world. So by January 10th, every relevant scientist all over the world knew what was happening and what to do about it. And then after that, countries varied. So the countries of Asia and Oceania, Australia, New Zealand, Taiwan, South Korea... Uh, they reacted uh, quite quickly and uh, very effectively. And they have it pretty much under control by now, uh, close to eradication in some places. Uh, Europe didn't pay a lot of attention to these Asians at first, but uh, most countries gradually got their act together more or less in varying ways, some pretty well, some not. Uh, Way at the bottom of the barrel is the United States. The U.S. intelligence was battering at the doors of the White House. Uh, daily uh, reports trying to get somebody's attention. Uh, the top health officials were trying to do the same. Uh, Trump wouldn't listen. He surrounded himself by a bunch of sycophants who, if they understand anything, wouldn't dare to say anything to the Lord. Uh, He apparently from all reports has two interests. Uh, One is his TV ratings. The other is the stock market. Stock market doesn't have much to do with the economy, but uh, in his fantasy world, it uh, tells him whether he's going to be elected in November. Uh, So finally in March, stock market tanked. He noticed and uh, he made some statements meanwhile uh, tens of thousands of americans had already died the pandemic was raging was totally out of control uh, after that comes a series of i mean if it if it weren't so tragic you'd call them comedy acts uh, one day it's nothing it's uh, it's like a bad cold i've got it totally under control but uh, the next day it's a uh, pandemic and I was the first person to notice it even before anyone else did the next day uh, lockdown the next day open up by Easter on and on but there is one thing that runs through I've got to make sure that I'm on top doesn't matter what happens to anyone else so if uh, the head of uh, the scientist in charge of uh, vaccines happens to say something uh, criticizing some of my quack medicine proposals, I'll fire him. He's fired. So we lost the head of vaccines. Uh, If uh, during my anti-China tirades, if a major uh, operation working with Chinese scientists is discovering uh, new coronaviruses and working on ways of protecting against them, uh, but he happens to have some contact with Chinese scientists, who have all the information and so on, destroy the program, okay? that's the way we are. If it turns out to be convenient to denounce the World Health Organization, uh, maybe that'll arouse some, I'll make some points with parts of my voting base who don't like international institutions and hate foreigners. Okay, we'll defund the World Health Organization and plan to destroy it. Of course, there are consequences which, interestingly, don't get discussed. So, say, take Yemen, worst humanitarian crisis in the world, for which Trump has his share of responsibility, also his predecessor. Worst humanitarian crisis, uh, there are health workers, saving people there from the World Health Organization. So, let's get them out and destroy it. Africa is suffering from many diseases. World Health Organization's on the front line saving people, but who cares? You know, I could get some points with my voting base, so let's kill a lot of Africans. Uh, that's typical. In fact, if you want to get a kind of an encapsulated view of the thinking in the administration, Trump and the people around him, uh, probably the best place to look for a brief picture is his budget proposal for next year came out on February 10th uh, right in the middle of the pandemic though he was still calling it a cold so what's in the budget well there's a decrease in funding in some areas increase in funding in others let's take a look what about health areas center for disease control defunded Actually, Trump has been systematically defunding it every year since he's been in office. And in the midst of the pandemic, let's defund it further. In fact, anything health-related or anything that's in service to the population, let's defund. Uh, What about increases in funding? Increased subsidies to the fossil fuel industries who are hard at work trying to make it sure uh, that a human organized society won't exist in another couple of generations. So fund them. It's great for profits. It's my constituency, wealth and corporate power. So fund them, whatever the consequences are, uh, defund others, it just saves people, it you know, saves lives. That's what we're dealing with. That's the malignancy that happens to be running the country. In the political sector.
0: In terms of, you know, your perspective on US history, has there ever been a, a time where there's been such disdain for science as exists in the current regime in Washington?
1: There's never been anything remotely like it. I mean there wasn't much interest in science for for a long time. But what there was was taking it seriously. This is off the spectrum. It's not just the United States. Uh, Great writer, Ariel Dorfman, recently in one column, uh, quoted a fascist general, friend of Franco's, back in 1936. Uh, He said, uh, down with intelligence, forward with death. Okay, that's Trump and the guys around him. Down with intelligence, forward with death. Not him alone. His favorite friend in South America, Jair Bolsonaro, is exactly the same. There are others around the world. His favorite dictator, El sisi in uh, Egypt. Uh, MBS, the killer leader of Saudi Arabia. Modi in India is another. In the United States, of course, it's far more important because of U.S. power. And uh, if you want to look at the thinking of the administration on this topic, incidentally, they've been defunding science all the way through the Trump administration. Laments about it by scientists, science reporters, and others. Some of it, it's grotesque, like the Environmental Protection Agency, which is now a subsidiary of uh, coal lobbyists. Uh, Scientists are gone, almost totally gone of their silence. Let's take a look at the last person, recent person, that Trump awarded a Medal of Freedom to, okay? Rush Limbaugh, one of the chief sources of information for Republicans, and uh, one of the people Trump is listening to. So what does he say? He says there are four corners of deceit, media, government, academia, and science. They exist on the basis of deceit. They're committed to deceit. So throw them out. And we should remember, you know, I can remember it personally, I'm old enough, the early early and mid-30s, it was a deep depression, global depression. Maybe we're moving in that direction, but it's much worse than anything that exists today. And there were a number of ways out Uh, Some countries took one way, other countries took a different way. Germany in the 1920s was regarded as one of the best functioning democracies. It was also at the peak of Western civilization and sciences, uh, the arts, uh, philosophy. They took one way out, the depths of human history, that's the way they took the United States took a different way out. One of the most positive, uh, progressive uh, periods of American history. The New Deal had an enormous effect on American life, uh, still saving many people, even though there's been a major effort during the neoliberal period, the post-Reagan period, to try to dismantle its achievements. Still a major impact on positive impact on American society. Those are two ways out. We're now also facing two ways out. It's not exactly the same as the 30s, but there are resonances. And, uh, you know, there are forces working in both directions. Uh, there's Trump, uh, the business classes, uh, the Republican Party, which is not a political party anymore. It's totally dedicated to wealth and corporate power and see it in everything that's happening in front of your eyes and has been for years. That's one way out. Let's make a more authoritarian, harsher version of the neoliberal plague that has devastated the society for 40 years, except for the very rich and powerful has led to a society in which uh, 0.1%, not 1%, forget that. 0.1% of the population has 20% of the wealth, making out like bandits since uh, 2008, after they created the Depression and now are getting rewarded for recession. So that's 0.1%. The other, uh, half the population has negative net worth, uh, liabilities more than assets. Uh, rough estimates are that about 70% uh, can barely get by from one week to next, one paycheck to the next. If anything goes wrong, they're in trouble. Uh, over half the population uh, the wages have, real wages have pretty much stagnated since the 1970s. While wealth has concentrated and They've gone to the stratosphere. uh, CEO uh, salaries have shot through the roof. Okay, that's one where you take a look at what has happened to the health system. I mean, the health system is a scandal to begin with. It's unique in the developed world. It's twice the costs of comparable countries and some of the worst outcomes. But it got much worse during the neoliberal period. So, for example, hospitals have to be run on the business model. What's the business model? No spare capacity. You don't want to waste resources. Uh, So not an extra hospital bid. Who wants that? Doesn't work very well, even when the system's working. Plenty of us can attest to that. I can too, even at the best best hospitals in the world. But if anything goes wrong, tough luck. Uh, Other countries which also were committed to the neoliberal monstrosities. Didn't go anywhere near this far. We're an unusually business-run society. So take, say, Germany, uh, the most successful state capitalist country in the world, very committed to neoliberalism, ordo-liberalism, as they call it, austerity and all the stupid things. But they had spare capacity. They didn't destroy the hospital system. Had spare beds, spare diagnostic capacity. When the pandemic struck and they finally noticed it, they could get things in order, uh, pretty well controlled, quite low death rate. Not the United States. Here it's going out of control and it's going to get worse. If you stop the lockdown, put people out in the streets and converge, of course it's going to get worse. Uh, I mean, what Trump and the guys around him are obviously hoping is that they can somehow make it look as though the economy is recovering in time for the election. And if a lot of people die, well, you know, the hell with it. First of all, it's mostly poor people, black people, people without privilege. They're the worst ones, Some ones who suffer worst. So you can start a propaganda line about welfare queens. Uh, The people with 12 children who don't want to work and come to the welfare office. You know the line. You can blame it on them. And say it's the cities. The centers of rot and uh, immigrants and Puerto Ricans and all those bad people. Uh, Okay, that's the propaganda line. A couple hundred thousand people die. Well, as Bolsonaro put it recently when confronted with the rising deaths in Brazil, thanks to his policies, he said, so what? Okay, Trump can say it, people have to die. Okay, so what? Uh, that's the mentality in this kind of proto-fascist uh, mentality that's de- and social patterns that are developing. I wouldn't call it fascism, but it has many of, it gives it too much credit to call it fascism. Fascism had an ideology, horrible one, but at least one. Uh, Here it's nothing but myself, uh, uh, the rich around me, and so on. Uh, That's probably the tactics for the coming election. It'll be terrible for the population. It may give a superficial impression of something working. It can carry it off. Who knows? Depends on whether the population will let them get away with it.
0: Now, you mentioned the the Great Depression. You have memories of bread lines and soup kitchens. Uh, Today, there are car lines for miles and miles, people trying to get some free food. Food banks and charities are stretched to the max. But there seems to be, um, you alluded to the political differences in the country, this crisis the economic crisis was triggered by a health catastrophe, the pandemic, and that's a fundamental difference between what's going on today than in the 1930s.
1: Well, it's different, but there are some similarities. The, uh, uh, the 20s, 1920s were very much like the neoliberal period. The labor movement was crushed, uh, Woodrow Wilson's Red Scare was the final blow. There had been a very vibrant, vital labor movement. It was crushed by force, mostly state corporate force. In the 20s, it was gone. The financial institutions were roaring, going out of sight. All sorts of scams were going on, unbelievable ones. My father, for example, who was an immigrant, didn't know that much about what was going on. Uh, bought some land in Florida. He thought, he was convinced that'd be a great deal. Turned out it was out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean somewhere. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that was going on. Huge wealth accumulating, financial uh, manipulations. It's pretty much like the, uh, uh, the neoliberal period in many ways. Uh, so there was something there when the crisis hit, financial crisis that time. The U.S. had been, as a society, that had been collapsing through the whole neoliberal period. Infrastructures collapsing, the hospitals don't work. Uh, the economy has been taken over by financial institutions. It's one of the main things that happened during the neoliberal period: a huge growth of financial institutions. Now, they do almost nothing for the economy probably harm it starts with Reagan Uh, one of the first things he did was to try to smash the labor unions well that's normal
0: the air traffic controllers
1: yeah and opening the door to using scabs which then corporations picked up caterpillar and others Uh, and very important to destroy the labor unions they might lead to progress for the general population as they did in the 30s so that's understandable but he did more he was really working hard for the his bosses. Great wealth and corporate power. One of his first acts was to legalize tax havens and stock buybacks. It kinda sounds arcane. It's not. That's trillions of dollars stolen from the public. Tax havens is tens of trillions of dollars. You know, Apple sets up a a room in Ireland and says that's where we are, we don't have to pay taxes. Uh, that means you pay taxes, I pay taxes. Uh, uh, stock buybacks are an enormous way of enriching management, CEOs and rich shareholders. Meanwhile, undermining the enterprise. We're seeing that right before our eyes now. So take the airline industries running uh, cap in hand to the 90 states saying please bail us out, we need 50 billion dollars. Why do they need 50 billion dollars? In the uh, mad rush to enrich yourself, uh, gorging at the the pig side, after the 2008 crisis, they were enriching themselves with stock buybacks, roughly about 50 billion dollars certainly not improving the uh, the operation of the airlines. Anybody who's taken a trip on the airlines knows that, not building the enterprise, just enriching themselves all over the corporate sector. Well, that was illegal before Reagan. Both were. And it was enforced. The Treasury Department was actually working. It enforced the ban on tax havens and stock buybacks. Again, that's Tens of trillions of dollars of robbery of the public. Floodgates opened by Reagan. And it goes on and on like that. Okay. So, yes, it was a failed society before the pandemic hit. And, in fact, why do we have a pandemic altogether? In 2003, after the SARS epidemic, which was a coronavirus, the scientists understood very well, in fact, told us, Uh, There's going to be another coronavirus pandemic coming. We know how to deal with it. We can get ready. We can get prepared. Uh, Just like they're telling us now, we can get prepared for the next pandemic. But somebody has to do something about it. Well, who's going to do something about it? The drug companies are ruled out. They're bloated with wealth. The public gives them massive subsidies. Wealth coming out of their ears. They have all the resources, the scientists, everything else. But they can't do anything because of something called capitalism. They're supposed to follow market signals. Okay? You listen to Milton Friedman. You're just supposed to enrich yourselves. Uh, So they can't do anything. There's no profit to be made from fending off a a disaster that's going to come in 10 years. So they're out of it. Well, the government could easily step in. And National Institute of Health, great scientists, plenty of resources, Center for Disease Control, many others. But that's blocked. That's the neoliberal disaster. Government is the problem. So nobody can do it. Actually, Obama made a few minor efforts, but they were blocked by neoliberal savagery. Uh, meanwhile, Trump came along started making it much worse, defunding Center for Disease Control and others, cancelling all the programs that were working to try to detect problems, working in China with Chinese scientists to try to find out where possible problems might come. All of that gets the axe. Why? You don't enrich your constituency that way. Trump's constituency is great wealth, corporate power doesn't give a damn about anyone else there's some faking with populist rhetoric and maybe some people believe it but just look at the entire legislative program nobody matters except the rich the powerful the the business the corporate sector business sector the rich business sector so everything gets wiped out you're uniquely vulnerable then come along the Catastrophes I've been talking about since. So the society was already in deep. Tr- First of all, it was huge amounts of debt, corporate debt, private debt. People were in debt because wages had stagnated. Meanwhile, the cost of living goes up. Okay, people are driving in cars to food to pick up food. The 1930s, they weren't driving in cars. My father couldn't get a second-hand car till the New Deal was operating in 1937. They were standing in bread lines. They still are today, but they're also driving in cars. It's a much richer society, which means it should be easier if the society is functioning to deal with this problem. But when you're catering to 0.1% and the rest don't matter, I mean, it's a little bit of an exaggeration, the top 10 or 15%, they matter too not like the 0.1%, of course. But if that's the way society works, yeah, it's going to be in deep trouble.
0: You're listening to Noam Chomsky on the politics of the pandemic. This is Independent Alternative Radio. For CDs of this program and the book Global Discontents, just call us at one 800 Again, that number is one 800 Triple four one nine seven seven. Our website is alternativeradio.org. In solidarity with you, our listeners, we're offering a transcript of this program at no charge. Just call us at one eight hundred triple four one nine seven seven. Yeah, but let me ask you: Doesn't the need to keep the patient alive. If everybody is destitute and penurious, uh, they won't be able to consume and buy the products that the ruling class produces.
1: Well, you're seeing an interesting example of that right now. Uh, As you, I'm sure, saw about a year ago, a group of top executives, I think about 150 from all the big uh, financial firms and banks, corporations got together and issued a manifesto saying, uh, we've done bad things. We realize it, but now we're changing from now on. We're going to be dedicated to the welfare of you guys, the peasants with the pitchforks are coming at us. Now, we're going to be devoted to you. So don't worry. It's all under control. Now, this got, even more dramatic at the uh, Davos meetings last uh, January. As you know, every January, the rich and powerful uh, converge on a ski resort in Switzerland. The the
0: masters of mankind, as you call them.
1: They all get together, they go skiing, they have parties, they congratulate each other on how wonderful they are and so on. This last Davos meeting was different. There was a theme running through it very much like those 150 or so executives. We've made mistakes. We recognize them. From now on, we're going to be different. We're going to be working for ordinary people. Uh, you guys, the peasants with the pitchforks. Just leave it to us. We've got it under control. And we're going to be working for you. Well, people with some... Memory, who can remember the 1950s, I'm old enough to do that easily, can remember that the same thing happened then. At that time, it was called the soulful corporation. Okay, Corporations were not just in it for themselves, their rich shareholders, you know, their CEOs, their management. They're in it for everybody. They're soulful. They work for the public. We've had uh, a number of years to notice how soulful they are. Uh, So we're now reenacting them. So yeah, they're concerned. Something's got to be done for the public. Uh, How much? Well, as little as we can get away with.
0: Well, you follow the uh, scientific journals and and reports. Uh, What have you learned about this uh, coronavirus? And, you know, what can we expect? There are wild estimates about uh, how many people are going to die or how many people are going to be uh, infected. What do people need to know?
1: Well, you have to look at those estimates carefully. For one thing, they all have a wide margin of error because a lot is just not understood. Actually, it could have been understood if somebody picked up the ball in 2003 and started serious research on coronaviruses. There are a lot of them, most of them perfectly harmless, some serious. It could have been if uh, Trump hadn't killed the programs that were working in China with Chinese scientists and, in fact, just recently killed another one because it's seeking to learn about coronaviruses at the hotspot, the place where there's lots of bats who are producing lots of coronaviruses, lots of contact with humans, right in Wuhan. There were programs working there with Chinese scientists, with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which has the greatest resources. Trump killed it. Why? Why? because it's important to blame China for his crimes. So therefore, we'll kill what's teaching us about how to deal with the coronavirus. This is real psychopathic behavior of an unusual kind. Just doesn't matter what happens to people. But to go back to the question, because of all these crimes, not too much is known about coronaviruses. The people, the scientists who are making the estimates have to keep a wide margin of error. But furthermore, you have to be careful not to fall for the right-wing propaganda. So when the Imperial College in London says, maybe uh, a million will die, and then a couple of months later it says, well, maybe 50,000 will die, uh, turn on to Fox News. Uh, The scientists are just a deceitful gang of people who don't know anything. Actually, they know exactly what they're doing. You look at those two estimates, both were quite plausible. The first was on the assumption that the government would continue with the program that Prime Minister Boris Johnson had initiated, namely do nothing and let everybody go out. Okay, They predicted if you do that, you might get a million deaths. Later, when Britain joined the world, aside from the United States, joined Europe and started to institute significant lockdown programs, other programs to test and so on. The same estimates came out much lower, but they're plausible in both cases under different conditions and still with a wide margin of error because we just know much. I mean, one thing is pretty clear. There's a very close statistical correlation between imposing lockdowns and controlling and containing the disease. Now, actually, the countries that started early, like, say, South Korea, that didn't even have to go to lockdowns, they were doing massive testing and tracing, which is the right way to do it. You test people, massive testing. If you find somebody with the symptoms of the virus, isolate them find out who their contacts were, isolate those people, and let the mass of the population who hasn't been infected go ahead. You can do that in the early stages. When you let it get to the U.S. stage, thanks to Trump and his guys, it's hopeless.
0: We recently passed the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, and you know we're in a major eco-crisis today. And Dr. Stephen Bezruska, points out that the loss of habitat and deforestation have brought the animal kingdom in much closer contact with humankind. And that has, you know, caused a growth in coronaviruses.
1: That's exactly what happened in China. But it's quite general. I mean, as habitat is destroyed, animals that humans have had no contact with uh, come out of the you know, the forests, uh, humans move in. there's more contact. Uh, one of the most serious cases is, as I mentioned, bats, they happen to have uh, massive amounts of coronaviruses. That's why very courageous Chinese scientists have been venturing into danger for years into very dangerous places. Many died to try to collect information. About the coronaviruses deep inside caves and so on, they found a ton of information. Uh, American scientists were working with them for some time until it was cancelled by the, the White House. And uh, in general, that's true. As you expand, you know, high-tech agriculture, which is in itself unsustainable, it's destroying the topsoil. We won't have topsoil in a couple of generations. But if you comp- continue with unsustainable industrial agribusiness, destroying habitat. Uh, If you open up another one of Trump's crimes, you open up the national parks to fossil fuels companies, which gives you, it's kind of a double whammy. One thing is it increases the use of fossil fuels to which he's dedicated in his passionate desire to destroy the possibility for human life in the short term. And that's not an exaggeration. That's literally true. He knows exactly what he's doing, just doesn't give a damn. It's like Bolsonaro, who cares? You know? So what? Uh, when you do that, you're first of all uh, destroying, intensifying the use of fossil fuels. You're also destroying wild habitat. Okay, what's going to happen? Uh, well, more diseases that we don't know of. Maybe coronavirus, maybe something else. Uh, so in many ways, we're Acting to destroy not only ourselves, but live life on Earth. Now, let's not forget that uh, the Anthropocene, as we're now calling it, you know, the period since the Second World War, new geological epoch, when uh, humans are making a having a massive and destructive impact on the global environment, a new geological epoch. Now, this period is not just global warming, which is bad enough and escalating, but also destruction of the environment, of habitats, plastics destroying ocean life, uncontrolled uh, trash and sewage, and moving uh, unsustainable agriculture, industrial meat production, savage and cruel, and also opening the door to pandemics by the incredibly reckless use of antibiotics, which means that bacteria mutate much more quickly. So now there are bacteria that have no remedies. All of these actions during this period, uh, driven by the need for more profit and more power, are causing massive destruction of species. We're right in the middle of what's called the sixth extinction. Fifth extinction was... 65 million years ago, when a huge asteroid hit the earth, killed most of life on earth, we're doing the same. We're the sixth extinction, not just humans. Uh, Insect populations are rapidly disappearing. And the places where they've been measured, it's pretty hard to measure. It's like, uh, you know, majority of insect species are disappearing. I mean, we survive on the basis of insects. So to all many other species, it's just massive destruction. Uh, there are fortunately there are ways out. Every one of the problems we're talking about, many that we didn't have solutions, which are within reach. But you got to do something about it. It's like the coronavirus pandemic. You can know how to deal with it, but that's no good unless somebody does something with the knowledge that you have. It's the same with every other one of these crises. The knowledge is there, the understanding is there, not entirely, but you can build on it, but somebody has to do it. And if you're in the grips of a particularly savage form of state capitalism, the neoliberal capitalism, what's amazingly called libertarianism in the United States, then you're toast. Nothing can be done. Corporations obviously are going to do it. Business can't do it.
0: Juan Gonzalez, uh, an independent journalist, uh, co-host of Democracy Now!, says that uh, I don't think we should discount the possibility that the president will declare an election that he loses as a fraud and illegitimate an attempt to stay in power. How do you see the upcoming uh, campaign, if there is going to be a campaign and election uh, evolving?
1: Well, I think that could happen. We have to remember who's in office and who supports it. The person in office happens to be a psychopathic megalomaniac who's concerned with nothing but himself. I think it's psychologically impossible for him to say, I lost in anything. Furthermore, let's keep in mind something else. Uh, I can't uh, vouch for this. I'm not certain it's true. But there are credible reports that the state attorney generals, particularly in New York, have a raft of charges, serious ones, that he's liable to as soon as he loses presidential immunity. If that's true, it's something else. But just psychologically, I think he's incapable of saying, doing what every normal president does and say, okay, I lost the election. Good luck for the next guy. I'll go on with my life. Everyone, George W. Bush, anyone. I don't think he's capable of doing that. Uh, he, has, he is trying to organize very definitely A very obviously, a mass of adoring worshipers uh, loaded with guns, uh, ready to fight for the guy they regard as their savior, who's stabbing them in the back constantly. A lot of unpleasant characteristics, a lot of white nationalists, uh, racists, xenophobes, uh, many types that the Republican Party has been trying to organize for some time. Uh, they could be storming the White House, just like they're storming the state capitals, uh, funded by major corporations, just as what's happening in the state capitals now. A lot of this is astroturf, it's pretty clear. And he also has behind him the centers of power in uh, in uh, wealth and uh, private wealth and corporate power. He's their man. Now, they don't want a possible move to social democratic policies, okay? the kind that most of the public wants. They don't want that. Who knows how far they'll go? Maybe soulful for corporation up to a point, but not when my uh, huge, monstrous wealth is at stake. So we don't know. These things could happen. It's not to be ruled out.
0: Well, talk about the upcoming election and say you're talking to a diehard uh, Bernie supporter who feels that uh, uh, their candidate was, uh, you know, not treated well by the Democratic Party. And, you know, I'm going to sit this one out. What do you say to that person?
1: Well, I would say to him two things, three things. First of all, notice that the Sanders campaign has been an astonishing success in many ways. It's entirely shifted the arena of discussion, uh, policy formation, uh, policy in too many ways to enumerate. And it's hit the DNC. So take a look at the official Democratic Party program, what's now called Biden's program. It's way to the left of anything since FDR is it because the DNC suddenly had a conversion no it's because of the pressure they're getting from activists working many of them under the Sanders umbrella okay that's one of many achievements a second thing to look at is why didn't Sanders get the nomination it's true the media were against him the DNC were against him but that's not the whole story you have to look beyond Take a look at the primaries. Okay. Sanders was counting on an upsurge among younger voters, his supporters. Did it happen? No, it didn't happen. They didn't come out and vote. That's something to look at, especially if you're a Sanders supporter. Now, what else happened? Sanders didn't win two major constituencies. African-Americans, and women. If you look at their voting preferences, they preferred his policies, but they didn't vote for him. And when you look at the studies that have been done, it seems the reason is they were saying to themselves, I like his policies, but he's not going to be able to broaden the coalition to bring in so-called moderates, broader group of people who will be able to get rid of Trump, which is the top, priority. Is that wrong? We don't know that that's wrong. In fact, if you look at the way Sanders fared in the Rust Belt, it may be right. That tells you something that has to be done. For activists who supported Sanders, we got to work on that so that we can reach out, not by abandoning our principles, but by showing that they're the right principles for a much broader constituency and not doing the kinds of things that might alienate them. So those are lessons. The third point, which is about as complicated as one plus one equals two, is that at this election, if it's going to be Biden or Trump, you have to, in a swing, in other states, it doesn't matter, but in a swing state, you have two choices. One of them is to vote for Biden. The other one, is to not vote for Biden. To not vote for Biden takes a a vote away from the opposition, which is the same as adding a vote for Trump. So your two choices are vote against Trump or vote for Trump. That's basically what it comes down to. And as I say, that's about as hard to figure out as one plus one equals two. So that's the choice. Meanwhile, recognize what the left has always understood elections are a blip they're a brief moment taken away from activism the standard doctrine which your people the rich and powerful and the ruling groups want to drill into your head is that politics consists of voting once every four years then go home and leave it to your betters in fact that's called progressive democratic theory That's the official doctrine. Don't fall for it. The right doctrine is the left doctrine. What counts in politics is your constant day-to-day activist work, the kind of things that changes the social conditions, the understanding, the background under which changes can happen. Uh, Every couple of years, an event comes along, which should take you many, maybe 15 minutes to think about. Uh, take a look at the political system. Decide if there's a meaningful choice. If there is, take a couple minutes and go into the voting booth and vote against the worst guy because it makes a difference, in fact, a big difference. And then go back to your activist work. Your activist work might be preparing for a campaign, like working in the Sanders campaign, which had a major effect. Can be that. Can be other things. But that's the way you should look at elections until the point when you actually move towards a party that might be committed to being to a government that's of by and for the people. That's actually happened. The Roosevelt administration, plenty of flaws, but it moved very far in that direction was a sympathetic administration had tremendous popular pressure, the labor movement, political parties, activist groups, and it accomplished quite a lot. Okay, made a big difference for the work that for the years that followed, including the social security that you mentioned, and a lot more. So those are the choices for a supporter of Sanders. The worst choice is to say, "I didn't get what I wanted. I'm going to go home and sulk and let the world go to go to pot." That's the worst choice. That's giving it Trump.
0: In this era of selfishness, there's also tremendous sacrifices that people are making. I'm thinking of the doctors and nurses and uh, EMTs and caregivers uh, who have done extraordinary work.
1: That's incredible. They're a real indication of what the human spirit can achieve. And the same is much more broadly true around the world. Brazil, here, other countries, and often in the poorest communities. People are just getting together in mutual support groups. Let's get together and help that uh, elderly guy who's stuck in his house somewhere and doesn't have any food. Or let's uh, get together and organize and set up a food bank and so on. Now, People are capable of all sorts of things. There's also, incidentally, on the international level, One example of a country that's showing what genuine internationalism is. So there's something called the European Union. Okay, There's a rich country, Germany, which has pretty much handled things for itself. Uh, A couple of miles to the south, there's a country called Italy, which is in trouble. Northern Italy has a serious pandemic. Is Germany helping them? No, but some country is. It's called Cuba. The country that we've had under our boot for 60 years, trying to crush, is now sending doctors all over the world to the front lines to compensate for what the rich and powerful aren't doing. It's not new. It's been happening for a long time. Uh, But we're not allowed to notice that. That's the wrong message, like noticing that the post office works. But we could learn something from it.
0: How are you doing, Noam, personally?
1: Oh, we're doing fine. Both Larry and I are pretty naturally hermit types. So, you know, there's nuisances, but we're the lucky ones. We're in a place where you can easily isolate. And we have some space outside. And Arizona desert is pretty empty. So we're okay.
0: Glad to hear that. You take care of yourself now. Stay safe. Thank you. That was Noam Chomsky on the politics of the pandemic. I talked with him on May 5th. Noam Chomsky, the legendary scholar activist, is America's leading dissident intellectual. This program is produced by Alternative Radio based in Boulder, Colorado. We are independent and in our 34th year. We are supported solely by individuals just like you. To access our complete audio and book catalog, just go to our website, Alternative radio.org Again, our website where we are podcasting, AlternativeRadio.org. Since its inception, Alternative Radio has made a special effort to record and archive Noam Chomsky's work. We have more than 250 recordings. For CDs of today's program, Noam Chomsky on the Politics of the Pandemic, and the book Global Discontents, just call us at 1-800- Triple four one nine seven seven. Again, that number is one eight hundred triple four one nine seven seven. In solidarity with you, our listeners, we are offering transcripts of this program at no charge. Just call us at one eight hundred triple four one nine seven seven. Special thanks to KGNU. Joe Ritchie is our general manager and editor. I'm David Barsamian. Thank you for listening and stay safe. Well, just go to the website, Alternative org Alternative radio.org. Uh, We too are independent and are supported solely by listeners who make donations, uh, purchase transcripts, MP3s, or CDs of our programs. So we're very much uh, dependent on listeners out there. <laughs> Tune in to the sounds of radio in its natural habitat only on CGSW 90.9 FM.